from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. Are coming to you from these United States of America through the miracle technology of radio. So across the entire United States, you can hear us live now, but you can also hear us through podcasts later and the rebroadcast, just broadcasting as much as you can broadcast. And we want to say thank you for everybody who joins in to listen to The Uncommon Good and Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm over here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can find us at mchs.edu. Bud, what are you up to out in the Eastern Time Zone? I'm the Director here at the National Institute for Newman Studies in Pittsburgh, and you can find out about all of uh, our work at newmanstudies.org, though I think it's probably an appropriate day, Bo, to share that um, beginning November 2nd, I'll be the academic dean at Mercy College. So Providence kind of surprised me with that conversation, but it's a great opportunity. And our listeners should probably brace themselves, not so much for my arrival, but um, the rest of the brood. It's the equivalent (laughs) of bringing like seven rabid raccoons to the town of Des Moines. Not that bad, I hope, but akin to. Yeah, so just to make sure, because, you know, Bud's good at burying the lead, we got some important events coming up. Uh, Christ Our Life is happening in September, the, the rest of the time here. Uh, the beginning of October, we have Pope Francis's new encyclical about human fraternity. And then uh, to exemplify the best virtue of human fraternity, uh, Des Moines is stealing Bud Marr and family uh, back from Pittsburgh. And so that's right. Bud Marr very soon will be broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, because he is going to be back at Mercy College as the academic dean. And so uh, a few things are in order. For one thing, we want to say thank you to Pittsburgh for taking care of the Marr family. I know that your time out there, Bud, beyond the fact of all the great stuff that you've got to do with the National Institute of Newman Studies and the great strides you guys have made in making Newman Studies uh, a much livelier reality here in the United States, uh, we got all sorts of people out there who are now friends of the show uh, that I hope that we get to keep up that Pittsburgh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pipeline so that they we can stay friends and and keep hearing from them even when you guys get back here to the midwest yeah i'm really grateful for the for the opportunity and there is an amazing catholic community out here a lot of great writers and thinkers and just you know mothers and fathers uh so it's been a joy in that respect but um you know given that i'm in this role for another month we'll continue to share uh, nin's website with folks but it's really fitting uh, I guess, and awesome in a way that um, beginning in November, uh, we're, we'll both be at Mercy College, you know, who underwrites our show. So that's that's kind of a fitting thing. That's right. So you guys will be sweating out an election and <laughs> dealing with all that. But know in the back of your hearts that you can be calm because the calming presence of Bud Marr will be back firmly within uh, the, the Mercy Network. Uh, but yes, Mercy College always underwriting our show. We want to say thank you, and we're grateful that they do so. MCHS.edu. Uh, not only are we, of course, you know, like I said, Bud, you, you teach classes 
uh, at Mercy. You've always uh, continued to do that since you've been out at Pittsburgh. But of course, intimately starting to be intertwined in the uh, preparations and discussions that we're going to have um, for the future. This week is Mercy Week. Uh, September 24th is always the celebration of the Sisters of Mercy and Catherine McCauley. So uh, we, we, we have uh, celebrations that are a lot different this year. Of course, we're not really having a public um, talk on campus like we usually do. Um, but we're making sure to celebrate at uh, the college. And we hope that people, if you get a chance, go check out things about Sister Catherine McCauley, the Sisters of Mercy, and uh, particularly what the, the the influence of mercy has been here in the Des Moines area, if you're one of the local listeners. Well, Bo, with you talking about all of that and some of the things you mentioned at the start of the show, you know, when we began this show, I remember friends saying to me, will you have enough to talk about with the common good week to week throughout the entire year? And I don't know, just, you know, in the news, like the Supreme Court appointment, um, you mentioning Pope Francis encyclical, with it being Mercy Week, I think we've got enough in October to tackle on the show. That's right. Like, and beyond that, like the, the numerous uh, groups of friends that we've been able to make through uh, reaching out to people, but also um, getting to talk with people who then say you should talk with this person and talk with this person. Uh, it really has been a blessing um, for two guys that got on there being like, well, let's see if we can talk about some terms uh, in uh, the common good that maybe people don't know about. And uh, I mean, it's been four years at this point, right? That we've had the radio show. Yeah, we're going on it. Let's see. I'll have to do the math during the break, but it's it's either three or four. And this is the time of year that's our anniversary. So that's pretty awesome. Of course, on today's show, we're tackling something that we think will be prescient on a lot of people's minds. And that is, as as Catholics and Christians, how do we make sense of suffering in our life? And this year especially, I think, Bo, illness and death and anxiety have been, you know, more on people's minds because of what's in the news. And so as Catholics, we have to be able to provide a kind of public witness about what it means to trust in God and especially in God's providence during what are understandably difficult times. Yeah, I thought, hey, we're celebrating Bud coming back and the anniversary of the show, so let's <laughs> talk about calamities. So we're going to talk about calamities in the uncommon or in the common good when we get get back. This is uh, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Thank you for joining us this Wednesday. You want to stick around for this because it is very prescient, providential, and just good radio. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to chime in to the uncommon good, maybe, maybe to say congratulations to Bud that he's coming back. Maybe tell him new restaurants he should, you know, call in and get some drive through in. Or maybe that uh, he has some debts he has to settle that he didn't before he left. If you want to warn Bud about him coming back, you can do so through the Zip Whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. The Zip Whip line. Hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. Maybe we can do a hashtag for like Bud's coming back or something like that. Bud's back. That's it. B-U-D-B-A-C-K. We can do that for a hashtag on the Zip Whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. We love hearing from you. Uh, we hope that that's happy news for people to know that like the gang never split up on air, but they'll be back truly uh, uh, in, in, in Iowa. 
We're looking forward to it. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena, ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction. Learn more at DreamDirt.com, including their online auction house, FarmBid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, farm auctions done right. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio was provided by Corel Contractor, serving Des Moines site work construction needs for over 60 years. Find out how you can support Iowa Catholic Radio at iowacatholicradio.com or 515-223-1150. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Learn more about Five Sons Naturescapes at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. fivesonsnaturescapes.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday here on Iowa Catholic Radio and everybody who is connected in through us or who's listening on the rebroadcast or the podcast, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you back. And, um, you know, there's many reasons to take a hard look at your life. Uh, For instance, if you're a Denver Broncos fan and the fact that basically every starter that you cared about uh, is hurt and that you're literally going and looking and finding people like – the Broyles guy or whatever his name is at this point to be your quarterback. Yes. I'm speaking as experience because my wife made me a Denver Broncos fan. So in that analogy of taking hard looks at your life, you can try to be sad about it, or you can think about what's going on in the midst of all these struggles that can make us become something uh, that can make us look towards the future that doesn't let us mire, uh, you know, already this early in the season, as it were. Uh, with the sports metaphors, of course, we always start to think, how do you salvage a season and things like this? Well, when it comes to the moral life, and especially theologically, of course, the stakes are massively bigger. And we start to think about what's going on in my life that uh, what's God up to? Where is God in the pandemic? in the social unrest, in the difficulties in my life, all of these things. And so 2020, if it's going to call anything to mind, it wants to call to mind this idea of that the, the, the Christians have been struggling with since Jesus himself died on the cross. Of course, he was resurrected. And so that's what we have to start to see. Where is it in our crosses, in our difficulties, in our pains, in our death, 
Is there hope? Is there crosses that become the empty tombs? Where is the resurrection? And what does it mean to have a resurrection faith in the midst of all these troubles? And today, bud, that's what we're hoping to talk about, not necessarily to get to uh, try to decipher, for instance, any one event in 2020 and say, here's where the resurrection is. But how is it that we have the approach um, and not just individually, but as a society, what's the approach that we think that God can be bringing resurrection for an entire people out of the calamities they face? Yeah, sacred scripture, of course, is a great resource for all of this, and it's a thread throughout the Bible. I think of the Old Testament prophets trying to make sense of why the people of God had been exiled after God had promised them you know, the land of Canaan and all that came with that. But to me, the most powerful voice on calamity and suffering is really St. Paul. And, you know, Bo, in some of his letters, he'll tell um, fellow Christians, consider all joy when you face trials of many kinds, because trials are precisely the way that God um, builds faith in us. And it's the way that our souls, so to speak, are like forged in the fires so that we become the person who we were created to be. And just reading St. Paul, especially these days, you know, it's really the inversion of everything I think modern Western society tells you about life, because we invent all sorts of ways to try to avoid suffering and weasel out of it. Now, some of those things, as we've mentioned on the show previously, are completely understandable. You know, like I'm if I have a bad headache, I naturally reach for ibuprofen. You know, I don't always struggle through every headache. Um, On the other hand, I think some of the serious moral issues that you see in our society today, Bo, are driven by an excessive attempt to avoid suffering. Because if you live long enough, um, the, the inevitable fact of the matter is that you're going to have to pass through suffering of some, some kind. It can't be avoided completely. And so if you don't have this kind of like divine perspective on the matter, you're going to spend so much time completely anxious and, you know, doing all these acrobatics to try to stave it off when it's coming your way anyways. And that's where, um, you know, after uh, you throw in your next piece, I'd like to mention St. Augustine because he has some great ideas about what it means to, so to speak, like benefit from suffering, not only as an individual, but also as a community. Well, but this goes to show, like to, to, to rip the veil for readers, or listeners, excuse me, to see how behind this show works. Uh, Bud and I get the general idea for stuff, and then we go look up uh, things mostly on our own and bring them together. Because guess what I was going to bring up, Bud, but St. Augustine and the City of God. So look at us having similar ideas. I think the St. Paul to St. Augustine connection is really important precisely because it, it centers on the paradox of the city of Rome as being central to Christianity. Um, and so before we get into the city of God specifically where uh, Augustine just has great point one after another. And it's funny how the city of God gets seen as sort of like his magnus opus about theology in general or a political treatise or whatever. But really book one is, hey, are you having a bad time with life and history and you're a Christian? Here's, here's the guidebook to think about these. I, I really cannot stress enough that if you read St. Paul on Romans and then read book one of the city of God and you think about the city of Rome and the role it plays, this is going to not only give you 
sort of the spiritual uh, food that you need to chew on during this very crazy year that we're all dealing with. Um, but hopefully it also makes you reimagine what it means to say that I'm Roman Catholic and that Rome plays an important role in our faith. We, we, we're bound in 2020 to think of Rome as this, you know, magnificent, splendid place. But Rome, as much as it was the eternal city and that there's like, you know, opulent palaces and everything like this, it's also been ransacked and destroyed time and time again. Part of the eternalness about the, the eternal city is the fact that it just seems like you can't destroy the place. Like people have burnt it down. They've conquered it. Um, the whole seat of authority of the empire has gone completely away but yet Rome still stands. And I think, like you said, starting with St. Paul, the idea of how is it that the seat of the persecution of the Christians becomes the cathedral of its temporal power and also its spiritual authority. And it gets down to this idea, it seems to me, that the two princes of the church that are associated most with Rome, so Paul and Peter, bequeath on it the central paradox of our hope that our hope is precisely going to be planted in the city that persecuted us first. And that through our enduring of these trials, Rome, which is the seat of the pagans, is eventually handed over to the church as a jewel of Christ's conquering the world. And we start to think about this in our own life. This is the sort of um, lesson. We don't just learn uh, lessons from Rome based on its opulence or its beauty, but actually the trials it itself as a city has constantly gone through. And so when Augustine is talking about Rome being sacked by barbarians and how this was sort of cataclysmic for the people of the empire, he's not even in Rome, remember. He's actually talking to his flock that's across the waters who are all freaking out, even though materially it didn't really change much in the empire it more sort of revealed what was already the case rome isn't strong enough to repulse barbarians coming from the north but he had to point out how is it does does god punish the good and the wicked alike how is it that the punishment stays the same but the reaction is different and so but i think it's very telling that if we're going to talk about how we in 2020 as a people deal with calamities for either our benefit or our destruction, it makes sense to turn to the city of Rome, which St. Paul and St. Augustine had so much to point out when it came to providence. Yeah, you're right. I, I think when readers first turn to the city of God, I know this was the case for me, it's intimidating because it's such a massive book and you think, well, this will only work as a doorway. But once you dive into it, it's amazing you know, for someone as brilliant as Augustine, that he's treating issues that are really on the, the minds of so many people. And the book starts with that great discussion, Bo, of, you know, the, some of the pagans blamed Christians. They're like, look, we've rejected the piety of our fathers. And because you've turned away from traditional religion to this new faith, that's why we're going through all these, these difficulties. And, and Augustine tackles that theological question first. I, I think he has a knockout punch and shows that why there's some faulty reasoning going on there. But the real heart of the matter and for our show today is his whole discussion of like, well, regardless of how you explain the suffering or understand it, the key is how you walk through it. And he really chides 
some of his fellow Roman citizens saying, you know, prosperity depraved you and adversity could not reform you. So you haven't really learned this salutary lesson that providence has put in your direction. So Augustine is saying there's a specific purpose for this. And, you know, affluence made you uh, slothful and really, you know, sort of like um, a calm and at ease and in, in, in a pejorative sense. And then it, things worked out where you were supposed to go through these calamities and have your soul forged in the fire. But instead, his fellow Roman citizens started griping about it. And so Augustine concludes that whole section saying, saying what matters is the nature of the sufferer, not the nature of the sufferings. And my, my mind in 2020 has been going back to that phrase, Bo, because it's so easy. And no matter how much we pray about it or talk about it, we just can't, we can't lie. You know, it's not, it's not simple or easy to go through the kind of trials we've been facing this year. And, you know, I'm one of the first of those to who's prone to anxiety in the face of social unrest, or of course, you know, like with the pandemic and Augustine really helpful, helpfully reminds us that God does has have a purpose for these things. You know, God's not, of course, a masochist who like celebrates human suffering, but with just the nature of the way that the world is, these things do come our way for a specific purpose. No, but I, first of all, to like to sidetrack, I know you said like it's not apropos to our show today, but I have to admit, I, I love <laughs> that Augustine out of the gate is like, oh, so Jesus's name was good enough when you ran to our churches to like take sanctuary and not get killed. But the minute you step out of the church, you use that same tongue to to bash God. But then the other one that's great before we get to the real meat of this is I love how he goes. How could it be that the pagan gods could protect Rome when literally your founding myth is that <laughs> Troy was sacked by barbarian Greeks and they had to carry their gro- their gods across the sea to a new place? And so I love that he's like, you know, he's, he's like, here, I'm going to use, uh, you know, recent history to point out that you guys seem double minded. Yeah. But then I'm going to go back to the classics to show that you don't even believe your own foundational myths. <laughs> so it's pretty great. But Look, you know, I already said if people want a, a sort of manual to read, they should read book one. I'll get even like more specific where you were really bringing up in the city of God is book one, chapters eight and nine. And chapters eight and nine are powerhouses of understanding what it means to live through difficulties. And why is the sort of prosperity gospel version of providence not true? But why isn't it the case that if you pray to God, a tornado could sweep through a town and like, all the wicked die and only the good survive. Like this is sort of the questions that we get at. And this is the sort of facile understanding of providence that atheists will constantly, Oh, you guys want to pray? Well, why is it that, you know, X person prays, but Y didn't happen? You know, so these are the sort of general questions or why is it that hurricanes hit and, you know, you guys aren't saved anymore, blah, blah, blah. Well, Augustine really covers this. So he goes, there's a very great difference in the purpose served, both by those events which we call adverse and call prosperous. The good man man is neither uplifted with the good things of time nor broken by ills, but the wicked man, because he is corrupted by the world's happiness, feels himself punished by its unhappiness. Yet often, even in the present distribution of temporal things, God plainly, like, he he shows that he's not going to interfere in all sorts of things, but that he's going to met out these punishments uh, for various reasons. So on one hand, he goes, 
the reason it's not all punishment all the time is because then it would say like literally there would be nothing at the end of time uh, for, for the, the final punishment to show the final vindication of righteousness over wickedness. But that if he never punished people who are, you know, already prone to think they can get away with whatever they want would certainly turn and go, there is no God and we really can do whatever we want. He said, conversely, if, if God gave like took away um, all temporal benefit uh, it, it would be like too harsh, perhaps, or that people would would think that God didn't have control over those things. Um, but on the other hand, if he gave freely of all gifts, humans being as they are, they would just become greedious and, and covetous and, and wouldn't ever turn to the higher things. And so he points out that God is the, the, the providence of God using both the good and the bad blessings and sufferings that that is constant. What changes, like you said, <clears throat> is the person and, and the, what, what they're, how they take the suffering. So as he goes, the same fire causes gold to glow brightly and chaff to smoke. And under the same flail, the straw is beaten small while the grain is cleansed. And the lees are not mixed with oil, though squeezed out of the vat by the same pressure. So the same violence of affliction proves, purges, clarifies the good, but damns, ruins, and exterminates the wicked. And thus it is that the same affliction that God detests, those that detest God and blaspheme, while the good praise and pray and praise him. And so that idea, bud, that you can have the same sort of force, you can have the same fire. Fire is the same no matter what you do with it. But on one hand, it can purify gold or make chaff burn away. This is the best way to understand um, God using the punishment, but what really changes is how we react to it. That's just really great stuff. <laughs> I get, I'm one of those guys who gets defensive about Augustine, like out and about, because you'll occasionally meet some professorial types who want to give him a hard time or whatever, but man. That's tough to beat. <laughs> yeah, Anyways. no, I mean, I, I don't try to like always quote everything word for word, but it really is. I mean, th- this this part of the book, he says things that are yeah. like, I don't, are you really, I don't know how you say it any more concise than he did. No, I love that point. Fire is the same. It depends on the material that's being burnt. Um, and Bo, when, when we teach theology, you know, sometimes students who are more used to the hard sciences, they get in the class. And when you when you teach theology, one thing you have to get students past is, Sometimes there's this approach to education where with a question, there's a binary answer. So you think about something like the phrase, does God cause suffering or does God allow suffering? And on the one hand, theologians want to insist no in this sense. Like we don't want to have this kind of Calvinistic conception that each and every act of like suffering was like pre-programmed by God for like some, I call it sort of like a mechanistic equation. It's kind of like when you could, God forbid, like tell someone who experienced like uh, the murder of one of their own family members and say like, well, when you get to heaven, it will all make sense. And realistically, I, I just don't, I don't like that way of thinking about things because it's not, you know, that event is just out and out a tragedy and in some sense, it doesn't make sense. It's like a, a rip in the fabric of the universe. On the other hand, uh, we do know that nothing falls outside of the purview of divine providence. And so 
I mean, we don't want to get too much into the weeds, but like, you know, most of the Catholic answers are both ends. So God grants us freedom. Humans misuse that freedom. That's led to all sorts of like terrible things. Natural disasters are sort of like different ball of wax, but still, you know, we have to say like this, this doesn't fall outside of God's permissive will. And that's where you really get to the point about Augustine where how do we, how do we, so to speak, like benefit from what we're passing through. And to me, Bo, the key is how we as followers of Jesus navigate that. And what I mean is when we approach someone who's going through suffering, we don't want to de facto like fall into answers. I don't think when we're ministering to someone who's suffering, we want to give them answers, but we ourselves insofar as we're able to cooperate with grace, want to say, God, how can I use this opportunity to conform more closely to the image of your son? And you've already kind of broached the topic of what um, philosophers call theodicy. Theodicy is trying to make sense of how is there evil in the world since God is all-powerful. If God is all-powerful and all-good, shouldn't the world be the best of all possible worlds? And the answer that Christians have offered classically is not really like a simplistic, like, here's how I overcome your philosophical proof. But we point to the cross and we say, there's something in God's very essence, in who God is, that involves a participation in our suffering. And if you look at the lives of the saints, if we're going to know God completely, then we're called to suffer in a specific way. And, you know, there's a lot more to be said about that in the second half of the show, but that's a lot of what came to mind when you're talking about Augustine's analogy of the fire. No, I think that's exactly right. We, you know, the reality is there is suffering, uh, and we have to work to understand, like, is it just pure, bold-faced that there's nothing to do about it? Or is there redemption that we can thread through the difficulties that we face? Well, bud, wonderful first half. We're going to talk about this more when we get back. This is The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, stick around, and we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to keep up with Iowa Catholic Radio, The Uncommon Good, other shows as well, Easy to do, just go and follow us through our social media sites. First of all, you can go to Iowa Catholic Radio, um, the OG site, as it were. <clears throat> you can go there and follow uh, what we're up to. You can listen live. You can hit the donate button. You can sign up for uh, emails to keep abreast of what we're doing. You can also go to Facebook, go to find Iowa Catholic Radio, and you can friend us and see our posts on Twitter, follow at IA Catholic Radio in order to see our tweets. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And anywhere that you have a connection through data, you can listen live to the show, donate, and keep up with us those way. So the website, Facebook, Twitter, and the app, easy ways to be a part of the Iowa Catholic Radio family and know what we're up to. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena, ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Partial support for Catholic Women Now comes from injury attorney Fred Haas. 
When Iowans have been injured through no fault of their own, in a car, truck, or motorcycle accident, harmed in a work-related injury, or suffered injury due to negligence of others, Fred Haas has been on their side to help recover from financial, physical, and emotional loss. Fred, double D, Haas, double A. Online at fredhaas.com. The Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. A little bit of cloud cover this afternoon, but no rain or high temperature around 80. Overnight, we'll be clearing up with our low near 60, breezy tomorrow, and warmer 84 and sunny. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation, with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bob Honor and Dr. Bud Moore joining you this Wednesday. We're glad to have you with us on the show. Today we're talking about that mega fun uh, topic of calamities and God's providence in the middle of them. How do we have faith? How do we keep the faith? And especially not just how do we sort of individualize that faith in the midst of difficulties, but how do we see this as a way that the church responds to what's going on? Uh, Bud and I in the first uh, uh, segment ended up talking about St. Paul, the, the, the way Rome plays a central role in our understanding of uh, calamities. We usually think of Rome in, in the modern era associating with opulence, but actually, it seems like the travesties and the difficulties of Rome play a really important part. The martyrs of Rome, and then when the church takes over, we have the sack of Rome. This is what Augustine is obsessed with in the city of God uh, on behalf of his people. And I think that that's a good way to, to really jump back into this. You know, when, uh, you know, St. Augustine obviously is talking about what happens to individual people when they follow, when they, when they confront these calamities, but he doesn't say, um, the souls of God versus the the you know the 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 Gentile or pagan souls. He says the city of God versus the city of man. For him, it still comes down to this um, social life. And I think you see this, but in this this next chapter that we were saying, we were saying that book one in many ways is a, a manual about what we need to deal with when we find calamities at our door and understanding the providence of God. We talked about uh, book eight, or excuse me, chapter eight being very particular about giving us ideas about what to do this, how fire uh, both purifies gold, but burn gold, but burns away chaff book nine or chapter nine. I should say that very next part sort of gets into this wider discussion in asking, why is it that God punishes the, the, the wicked and the righteous together? On one hand, he points out that even the righteous you know, he, he he didn't use the word, but even the righteous venially sin, right? And so even the righteous and what part of makes them righteous is they can see great calamities as being to their benefit. They go, oh, well, of course, there's, of course, venial sins that I do every day and attachments I have 
that, that God is trying to help me do away with, whereas the wicked see even the smallest difficulties as God's innumerable hatred of man. But what's interesting, bud, for me is one of the very pointed things he continually comes back to is he goes with the righteous. It's almost always the case that they're the righteous because they don't really personally sin themselves, or if they do, they confess all these things like this. But he goes, what's very difficult for humans is in the face of wicked people that they know and that they, if they don't have authority, they have at least an equity with that out of fear, the righteous don't correct them. And there's this idea, but it seems to me that what Augustine's saying is if righteous people fail in their job to correct the wicked, well, God's going to sort of, so to speak, store that up. And at some time, at some point, do it for them. And when he does, it's, of course, a much bigger, scarier deal. I, either, you know, we could have a society where we felt like we could correct each other in mutual, you know, fraternal correction. But, but if we don't have that, God will do it for us. And guess what? When that comes around, it's something like the vandals sacking Rome. Oh, I hear a subtext to 2020. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, Bo, I just talking about the city of God today. I feel like we're almost transitioning to a city of God themed episode, but just, just talking this out with you, it really is. It's almost like a manual for how we think about the show. Cause if you think about the relationship of the Christian community to the world at large, there are so many pitfalls that we can fall into. And one is, we think of these as two completely separate kingdoms, kind of like in a Lutheran way. And so Christians just withdraw from the world. You know, you can never have like a Christian magistrate or a Christian police officer or statesman, right? And that's kind of how some Protestants have thought about it. Or they've said your activity in the world is sort of completely separate of your Christian convictions. And if Catholics, as Catholics, we, of course, say that's just so far afield. That's not true. On the other hand, you know, I think we do face a perpetual temptation, Bo, to grab the reins of history or say we can usher in the kingdom of God if we just garner enough power for ourselves. And to me, that perspective is different from what I was just saying about being a faithful Catholic in the station of life to which God has called you. It's, it's sort of denying providence by forcing the issue. And what Augustine says is something slightly different, but it's really important to me. And feel free to correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, Bo, but, he, but he kind of presents human history as one stage. So there's not secular history and salvific history. There's, there's one stage, and we're all in that same location. But what Augustine says is that there's two cities in that same place. There's the city of God and city of man. And the, the pitfall that we're prone to fall into, especially in trying to, in some cases, bring about a kind of utopia. So again, getting back to this whole question of avoidance of suffering, the temptation that we're prone to fall into is to say, I'm going to put all my chips on the city of man. And what Augustine says to his readers is, look, God's not called you out of the world, but that, like putting your hopes there is putting them behind something that's eventually going to crumble. And what's truly lasting, what has a foundation that can't be shaken is the city of God. And so I, I'm sorry to take this bunny trail, Bo, but like when we have a show like The Uncommon Good and you're throwing out those insights from, from Augustine's book, like that's just, it, it really does speak to, you know, everything that we try to 
try to focus on on this show. No, I, I don't think these are bunny trails at all. Like one of the things, the directions I was going to go, and this is from, uh, I was talking with uh, Dr. Russell Hittinger, who is a, a great friend and uh, very much someone who's formed a lot of the ways that I think about this, but I was calling and talking to him about this, about calamities and 2020 and how to, to, to think about these. I think part of this was the impetus of bringing this up as an idea. And not only did he point to the city of God, but as you said, this sort of opposition and, you know, look to back up real quick, you made the point that it's not about making binaries. Like it's either this or this, but what, when, Augustine's doing this he's not saying like either it's the city of God and the city of man and there's nothing in between he really is talking about there's two pulls to all of this right and that depending on the love you have and and he's already we've already talked about how he goes even the righteous in this life aren't completely you know in love with the city of God it's it's frankly it's almost too hard for us right like we we need to know when we need to eat next and things like this so it's not about a binary a light switch being flipped but he talks about the two poles to consider these things and he's doing this constantly. So one of them, bud, I think is how he uses the figure of Job and contrasts him with different people. Two that I think we have time for on the show today. One is Job and Cato. So we'll talk about who that is in a little bit. And then Job and Adam, like original, you know, Adam, our father uh, for, uh, of the human race. So Cato is a stoic Roman philosopher who was, I mean, lauded, and I, I can tell you, Augustine himself thought Cato had beautiful philosophy. He, he, I think he incorporates a lot of what Cato says into his ethical philosophy. But Cato famously, when finding out he was betrayed by Caesar, killed himself. And, and not really out of despair. This is kind of hard for people to follow, I think, in 2020. But in Roman and Greek understandings, there was like a noble time to kill yourself because they thought in terms of honor and and shame and all these things like this. And so Cato, even famously, for instance, like Dante, Dante doesn't put Cato in hell with the other suicides in the Inferno. He puts him in um, the purgatory and has him actually work his way out. Augustine, though, contrasts Job and Cato, both who like dealt with difficulties but this is his sort of, these are the, the, the figureheads to talk about the different ways in which to suffer. And so he goes, look, there's another reason why the good are afflicted with temporal calamities. The reason which Job's case exemplifies that the human spirit may be proved and that it may be manifested with what fortitude of pious trust and with how unmercenary a love, I love that, an unmercenary love, it cleaves to God. And he goes, look, the point of living through life as we do is so that someday we can say with Job, uh, heavily tried but not overcome from, from Job, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away as it pleased the Lord. So it has come to pass. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like a good servant, Job counted the will of his Lord with great possession by obedience to, by which his soul was enriched nor did it grieve him to lose while yet living those goods, which must shortly leave at his death. What's crazy about this, Bud, right, is Cato is a Stoic, and so he's sort of exemplified as the sort of Roman philosophy that's dispassionate and doesn't put too much, you know, uh, weight into this life or possessions, but still at the end of it, for the sake of an honor uh, in the city of man, he felt it right to end his life when really all he was suffering is sort of like, uh, uh, social shame. Job had everything he loved taken away, 
but could still in faith say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that that sort of re-understanding of Job is not just like one solitary guy, you know, getting kicked in the shins and like, you know, dealing with it as best he can, but as sort of being an emblem of how the city of God and the city of man differ. Uh, I just think it's a fantastic way to, to talk about this. Do you take a stance on the conclusion that Job, I was, I was at a conference once and this uh, scholar presented on, on Job and he and I got into a little bit of debate because, you know, I love the book of Job and I think it's so powerful that Job has everything taken away from him and then confesses what you just said there. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the face of like great challenges from um, his friends. And then when God shows up, God, like we're sort of saying, doesn't give a simplistic answer, but basically points to the majesty of creation and says, in effect, like my ways are higher than your ways. But the the the, the debate that I had, Bo, was, um, you know, the end of the book, everything's returned to Job sevenfold. Mm-hmm. For myself, I feel like the book would be powerful on its own if it ended with God coming in the whirlwind. And then that was sort of the conclusion of the book. For this guy, it was like, well, the book shows that God basically returns to his children, you know, all that he had blessed them with and more. I guess I put him in enough of a corner where he admitted sometimes that's sort of eschatological and we have to wait until heaven or the end to see those blessings. But thoughts on the canonical place of Job? Well, I think it's interesting to go look to the church fathers about this. So with Augustine, we have Job being contrasted, like I said, with Cato, the famous Stoic Roman philosopher. Or, for instance, he he does this uh, comparison with Adam. Uh, this is in his uh, fourth homily, number four on the first epistle of John. He says, For that you may know it, brethren, Adam being in paradise, despised the commandment of God and lifted up the neck as he desired to be his own master. So he fell from immortality. But there was a certain man, and man now well-skilled, though immortal born, who even as he sat on the dunghill, putrefying with worms, overcame the devil. Yes, Adam himself was overcome, but Job, so, so then Adam overcome in paradise, overcame on the dunghill through Job. And so this has been like transmitted through the years in a sort of small way that Adam was unhappy in paradise, but Job was happy on the dunghill. Job was happier on the dunghill than Adam was in paradise. And so you get this idea, right, that like what Job does is a prefigurement of Christ. In, in Gregory the Great, in his, his huge work, The Moralia on Job, which is just massive, where he basically treats Job as like the basis of all um, uh, moral thought when, you're, when you talk about Christians. Um, the idea that Job is sort of the Old Testament prefigurement of Jesus Christ comes ringing through in a way that I think what you're talking about has to be thought of eschatological. So that ending of Job, right, is that the human soul, unless they go through what Job went through, um, can't have the things of this life without them dragging them down. But I really think this is sort of like uh, the Old Testament prefigurement of what Jesus says when he goes, um, seek ye the justice of God and all these other things you will have likewise, right? If you learn to hold all the things of this earth lightly, if you learn to 
seek after justice, which is what Job is doing the whole time. Job's not complaining like, God, you're a big meanie. He's saying, what is the justice here? Like, I want to argue my case because I believe the Lord will hear me and he will rectify, he will explain what's going on, which he does through the whirlwind, even if it's mystically. Then all of those things at the end are given back to him. But, you, you know, sevenfold. And so one of the mystical interpretations of that is like with the seven virtues, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of the things of this earth, it's again, not like if you suffer enough, you're going to really hit the jackpot of really cool stuff. It's the things of this earth really only take uh, the, the actual good quality they have if we go through um, the testing that Job went through and find ourselves so to speak, on the other side with what Job learned through the whirlwind. Yeah, and if listeners are hearing this right now and saying, like, thinking to themselves, like, how exactly does this intersect with what we're thinking about today? You know, you and I have fielded similar questions from students. Like, when we broached the topic of Job at Mercy College of Health Sciences, it's like, well, do <laughs> does this book from so many thousands of years ago speak to where we're at today? And what I'm going to go to maybe a surprising place, Bo, but what it calls to mind for me is that we have to have our students reading books like Job and like the City of God. We have this um, sort of mistaken idea in our culture that education can be morally neutral. So if you give future nurses or whoever just like the right facts and the right procedures, they'll do well at their job. But that's just simply not the case. And as students our students meet, you know, patients out in the world, these sorts of questions, why am I suffering? Does this have a higher purpose or whatever? They're going to inevitably arise. And we would be doing a disservice to our students if we sit them out into the world without reading books like Job. And for instance, even in the classroom, you know, you and I have had to to talk about subjects like euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. And there are a lot of well-meaning folks out in the world who think like this is something that's worth offering to people. And it's driven by this desire to say like, well, if someone's suffering and their illness is terminal, shouldn't we spare them that suffering? But it can go to a really dangerous place quickly, I think, Bo. And what I have in mind is the way, um, you know, I sometimes hear even among like professionally trained ethicists saying things like, well, if a person's quality of life dips below a certain level, you know, is, is it really wrong to give them the alternative of, of physician-assisted suicide? And you can see the faultiness in that thinking, not simply on the basis of what we know from the catechism. But, you know, as I've delved into the literature, you sometimes say, like, well, quality of life, does that mean I'm no longer able to walk or I'm no longer able to feed myself? And I actually came across uh, an article recently where it mentioned that a guy on his, um, uh, what's it called, where you've got your last um, wishes or the, the plan oh, for... Yeah, his will or... Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I'm yeah, sorry, Blake. The, yeah. the plan for your care at the end of life. And this, this patient, I guess, you know, very honestly said, if I can't golf, if I can't walk nine holes, then to me, life isn't worth living. And I just think as Catholics, Bo, on the basis of everything we've covered this morning we got to cast a different vision for people and we've got to really show them there's a hope beyond, you know, just the present circumstances in front of you. No, I think that that's uh, a a great way to bring this sort of like point to a head here at the end, bud is 
you know, we're, we're throwing out light reading for everyone. Romans, the city of God and the book of Job, right? <laughs> to really uh, right. <laughs> spice up, uh, you know, like reading right before uh, we, we go into the big political season before November. But I do think it's important, like you said, that, you know, on the, on one hand, the, the sort of heroism of Job is not like he, he defeated some mystical enemy and, you know, received the prize. It's that in the midst of his suffering, he sought justice and not simply relief. And that starts to be interesting, right? He, he, he doesn't focus on the fact of all the horrible things happening to him. He sort of is asking this primordial question is, why do we suffer at all? Why, why do the righteous suffer along with the wicked? And in this way, right, prefigures Jesus Christ, who is, you know, Job, as for all accounts, is a, is a great hero of the faith. Jesus Christ is the son of God and sinless. And what do those type of people do but willingly suffer with other people. And on one hand, right, uh, their very lives testify against what you're talking about, that like we have these silly notions of what makes life worth it, especially in 2020, where life is so easy compared to what the vast majority of humans, I mean, for most of human history, there was no ibuprofen people. Like, I mean, I'm 39 and I think about how difficult that would have made my life. On the other hand, it can go the other way too, bud. And people who would sort of like browbeat people to be like, you you know, you're probably a sinner and you don't realize it. And you have like Job's friends, like quoting the book of Proverbs against him. And what does God say in the end? Job spoke truthfully about me, unlike his friends. And then it was actually Job sacrificing on their behalf that made up for it. The virtue, my friends, is not to ignore the difficulties of life or to be sort of um, uh, give easy answers, nor is it to act like we can deny what life is about but instead it is the same fire are we going to glow like gold or are we going to smolder like chaff this is the uncommon good may jesus christ the prince of peace reign in our hearts our families our city our state definitely our nation the world uh with all it's going through solar system galaxy the whole kit and caboodle this is the uncommon good and we'll be back next week But we, we 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 kind of are talking about like the reason that we're bringing this yep. all up is there are at least calamities of some nature currently going on. But there's also great blessings like the Mars getting to come back to Des Moines. So if people want to pray for the sake of those calamities, but also pray for the sake of Thanksgivings in our midst, how can they pray along with Iowa Catholic Radio? We have several prayer opportunities on the air daily. So we pray the rosary on air at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 9.30 p.m. And then right after that rosary, in the, uh, first thing in the morning, we pray the Angelus at 6. And all of those prayer opportunities, Bo, are available anytime on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And then, Bud, I talked with uh, on the morning show about this. So uh, on Thursday, the 24th, evidently, there's a prayer for our nation that Father Ricardo is doing. So I know people are looking into that. Traditionally, uh, we are in the ember season, so and this gets into big liturgical things that we don't need to like hash out at the very last of the show here. <laughs> but um, uh, the ember days, uh, like according to the 1962 missile, if you're following those, are today, Friday, and Saturday. These were happened four times during the year, where with the season, people would uh, fast and pray for the sake of what's going on. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to like go from today and through Saturday. Uh, fasting and praying, certainly we can all use it. 
Um, what else we can use? Oh, Christ, our life. Uh, go check Iowa Catholic Radio to learn more about that as well. Um, but folks, uh, we have Carathon coming up. And what that brings to mind, of course, is in the middle of all these difficulties, um, the ability to do the great work Iowa Catholic Radio does uh, is not just the people on air. It's definitely your work as well. And this occurs through your prayers and your volunteering, but very much also through your donations. We aren't able to materially carry on unless you support us. But when you do, this great ministry that reaches so many people is able to keep going. So go to iowacatholicradio.com or the app and you can hit the donate button or call 515-223-1150 or listen next week during Carathon and donate then. Bud, can't wait to have you back in Iowa and uh, tell all the Pittsburgh people uh, thank you for taking good care of your family and that we hope to be able to keep talking to them when you get back. That's right. Warm up the zombie burgers and roll out the confluence kegs. We're headed home. <laughs> this is the Uncommon Good. We'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.